Abe Shinzo will be remembered in Taiwan for his friendly support of the nation. In particular, he was a close personal friend of former President Li Denghui, despite a 30-year age gap. Their bond was formed after Abe was first elected to Japan's parliament, the National Diet, in 1994. And reports say he had earlier planned to visit Taiwan at the end of July to mark the two-year anniversary of Li's death. Li's family has expressed shock at his untimely death, and President Tsai Ing-wen has also severely condemned the assassin's violence. Before former Japanese Prime Minister Abe Shinzo was shot dead, he had planned to visit Taiwan at the end of July to pay tribute to former Taiwan President Li Denghui. In 1994, when Abe was elected to parliament the first time, he forged a bond with Li Denghui. For many years, the two kept in touch and shared a close friendship. When news of Abe's assassination broke, Li Denghui's family expressed shock. Former Prime Minister Abe said this many times. He wanted to go to Uchin Mountain Military Cemetery to pay his respects to my father. This was most likely to happen at the end of this month to coincide with the forum on 50 years of Taiwan-Japan relations. It was shocking to hear the news this morning. When I told my mother this news, she was extremely worried and asked me what the situation was and I told her. She was extremely sorry. Annie Lee, who is the former president's daughter, said that Li Denghui was Abe's mentor as well as his friend. Li Denghui was 30 years Abe's senior and cared about Abe's future in the way a father would, she said. Abe was friendly to Taiwan and supported its admission to the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Abe even went so far as to say if Taiwan had a problem, then Japan had a problem too. A Taiwan emergency is a Japanese emergency, and therefore an emergency for the Japan-U.S. alliance. When the COVID pandemic first erupted, Taiwan was short of vaccines. Abe pushed Japan to donate doses to Taiwan. In 2018, when a major earthquake struck Hualien, he offered condolences and pen calligraphy that read, Go Taiwan! To thank Abe for his friendship to Taiwan, Former Presidential Office Secretary-General Mark Chen recently established an Abe Shinzo Friendship Association and planned to invite him to tour Taiwan. Our motive in setting up the Abe Shinzo Friendship Association is to thank him. Former Prime Minister Abe has long been committed to deepening the Taiwan-Japan friendship and we strongly condemn violent and illegal acts. Following Abe's shooting, President Tsai Ing-wen expressed shock and severely condemned the act of violence. During his tenure as Japan's leader, Abe was committed to promoting peace and exchanges between Taiwan and Japan. He was also the longest-serving prime minister in Japan's history. U.S. Senator Rick Scott, who's visiting Taiwan for the first time, was received at the presidential office on Friday. At the reception, President Tsai thanked the Republican senator from Florida for his steadfast support of Taiwan. In recent years, such global changes and challenges as the COVID-19 pandemic, the expansion of authoritarianism and Russia's invasion of Ukraine this year have shown us the need for democratic partners to deepen cooperation. 
when you look at the actions of Russia and you look at the actions of uh, the leadership in communist China, uh, you know that we have to continue to work together to make sure uh, that Taiwan has the opportunity to uh, decide their future, not have it decided by some uh, uh, foreigner. This May, Scott co-signed a letter to U.S. President Joe Biden calling on him to include Taiwan in the Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. During Friday's reception, President Tsai thanked Scott for his efforts to strengthen bilateral trade ties. Scott arrived Thursday afternoon for a three-day visit. He is scheduled to meet top Taiwan officials on issues of trade and regional security, according to the American Institute in Taiwan. Indigenous Affairs Minister Ichang Parad is currently in Canada, where he is studying the country's approach to indigenous issues. On Tuesday, he and his delegation discussed indigenous language policy in a meeting with Canadian officials. At the forum, the two sides found similarities in how they were seeking to revitalize indigenous languages. They agreed to set up an exchange platform, which will be used to continue their dialogue on policy. Taiwan's Indigenous Affairs Minister Yi Chang Parud presents a gift to Professor Scott Simon of the University of Ottawa. A bilateral exchange on promoting Indigenous languages was held at Ottawa's National Arts Centre. Canada's Director General of Indigenous Languages in Canada's Department of Canadian Heritage, Paul Pelletier, spoke about the development of languages spoken by Canada's Indigenous people. The federal government um, is responsible for children who live on reserve. That means either um, having schools available on reserve and where they're not, you know, paying for the tuition for those, those children to attend, you know, a provincial school as close as possible to their reserve. Indigenous people in Canada number 1.7 million. In 2019, the nation passed an Indigenous Languages Act to support the preservation, revitalisation and maintenance of ethnic languages. Taiwan's Indigenous Affairs Minister said that Canada and his country were similar in how they were reviving Indigenous languages. It turns out that their writing systems have not yet been standardised. Taiwan has been working on that since 2005. Although it is a pity that we are not a United Nations member, at least Taiwan and Canada have regular communications. Each country found lessons to learn from the other at the event. Canadian participants said they were impressed by Taiwan's use of Indigenous languages in government agencies and its system for training Indigenous language teachers. The two countries plan to hold yearly forums on indigenous languages. The representative office in Canada acts as a facilitator and a bridge to connect indigenous exchanges between Taiwan and Canada. I deeply look forward to this and think that this is the right course of action to take. I believe there will be very good results. The two sides plan to continue their cooperation and set up a policy exchange platform where Taiwan's experience can be shared with Canada and vice versa. New Taipei City is home to an estimated 4 million people. Out of the 4 million, there are a total of 230,000 new immigrants and migrant workers.
To showcase the characteristics of cuisine from their countries, the new Taipei City Economic Development Department created an English food guide ebook featuring 50 selected Southeast Asian restaurants in New Taipei City. To find out more, our reporter Stephanie Yang spoke with the director of the department and the deputy director of India Taipei Association. According to the India Association Deputy Director General Sohag Sen, the three greatest characteristics of Indian cuisine are its diversity, uniqueness, and ability to harmonize different ingredients and spices. About diversity, I think in every part of India, you get different uh, kinds of foods and different flavors, and each and in all parts of India, this is. Uh, influenced by the history and geography of that part of India. So if you see in the northern and western part of India, there is a lot of use of wheat, of uh, lentils, and a lot of using, use of cooking methods like baking, roasting. Whereas in the eastern and southern part of India, it's mostly about rice, fresh vegetables, fish, and a use of cooking techniques like steaming and so forth. The new Taipei City government launched an e-book showcasing 50 restaurants from six countries in Southeast Asia. The new Taipei City government visited 600 restaurants across New Taipei City and selected 50 restaurants to include in the book. Northern Taiwan, which is uh, Taipei, Xinbei, Jilong, Taoyuan, there are almost more than 70 Indian restaurants. New Taipei is an international city. There are a total of 110,000 new residents in New Taipei. Including the children of new residents and migrant workers, there are a total of 230,000 people. Throughout New Taipei, there are about 600 new residents gourmet restaurants. We selected 50 out of the 600 to make a food digital map. Aside from Indian restaurants, the ebook also features selected Thai, Vietnamese, Malaysian, Indonesian, and Burmese restaurants in New Taipei City. The ebook is written in both Mandarin and English. New resident food manual is very important in our post-pandemic economy. In addition to international culture and the economy of ordinary people, the ebook can help boost the economy through food. In fact, it reaches more than 1 billion NT every year. I hope that although some people might not be able to travel abroad, they can still have the opportunity to experience these exotic delicacies. These restaurants are mainly distributed in Banqiao, Zhonghe, and Xinjiang. The ebook can be downloaded on the New Taipei Economic Development Department's official website. The New Taipei City government hopes to help businesses thrive during the pandemic. FTV News Stephanie Yang and Li Yihan in New Taipei City. The DPP is getting close to finalizing two key mayoral candidates. According to informed sources, former transport chief Ling Jialong has finally agreed to run for the DPP in New Taipei. Lin gave his verbal assent to the president on Friday after being persuaded to give up a campaign in neighboring Taipei City. As for who the DPP will run in Taipei, sources say it will most likely be Health Minister Chen Shizhong, who met with the president recently to discuss a potential campaign. If all goes to plan, the DPP's Central Executive Committee will approve both nominees at its meeting next Wednesday. Pingdong County Commissioner Pan Meng An took delivery of a paratransit bus on Friday, a donation from a company based in New Taipei. Amid rumours that he might declare a run for New Taipei mayor, his public appearance was closely watched.
It seems like Commissioner Pan will have an opportunity to move up to the next level, and it seems that this opportunity will be very close to my place. I'll have you all know that my little company is located on Zhongshan North Road Section 1 in New Taipei, which happens to be very close to New Taipei City Hall. It's only about 200 meters away. But it's looking like Pan won't be the DPP's nominee after all. According to informed sources, President Tsai Ing-wen is holding out for her former transport chief. Lin Jialong. Uh, Lin had said repeatedly that he would not run for mayor in New Taipei and that he wanted the mayoral nomination for Taipei instead. But this Monday and Tuesday he met with the president and members of the party's election committee who pushed him to reconsider. On Friday afternoon he met with President Tsai Ing-wen once again. Sources say he agreed to accept the nomination for New Taipei. Meanwhile, in Taipei City, the DPP also appears close to locking in its candidate. During a CECC press briefing the day before, Health Minister Chen Shijun was reluctant to comment when asked about his political ambitions. But according to the latest reports, Chen met with the president recently to discuss his potential Taipei campaign. Sources say Tsai previously tried to recruit her former vice president Chen Zhenren for the Taipei race. However, her former VP could not be persuaded. We need to ensure the sustainability of the good governance we have today. This is a blessing for Taiwan. So in the future, I will exercise all the channels open to me in my capacity as a scholar to continue to help the DPP and make this country better. He wants to bring positive change and he's made a string of media appearances to discuss the pandemic. Former VP Chen Zhenren may not run for office, but there's speculation he could be the next CECC commander. Sources say the DPP is close to finalising its strategy for Greater Taipei. If all goes to plan, the Central Executive Committee will officially approve its nominations next Wednesday. Taiwan's daily local case count stood just above 30,000 on Friday. The CECC also reported 131 COVID-related deaths and 311 severe to moderate cases. One new severe case involved a 7-year-old girl with no pre-existing chronic diseases. She had received one dose of a COVID vaccine and developed MISC, which is short for Multisystem Inflammatory Syndrome in Children, after her COVID infection. Experts say that children infected with Omicron need to be monitored for severe complications like MISC, pneumonia and encephalitis. In two recent cases, young patients even suffered a stroke following infection. One case was a 12-year-old boy whose stroke left him numb on his right side. The other was an 8-year-old boy whose stroke was accompanied by a fever, convulsions and liver and kidney abnormalities. Both children have since made a full recovery. Taiwan is rolling out its first batch of the Novavax COVID vaccine. Half a million doses arrived last week and were offered for the first time on Friday to recipients 18 and older. 
at the Taipei Stadium vaccination clinic, a long line formed in front of the entrance early in the morning. Some people who chose Novavax said they were hesitant to take the other brands for fear of strong adverse reactions. Novavax is a protein-based vaccine who, which tends to cause fewer or less severe side effects than mRNA vaccines. In clinical trials, Novavax was shown to provide up to 90% protection against COVID infection. Even before nine in the morning, a long queue had formed outside Taipei Stadium. In addition to Pfizer and Moderna, the vaccine clinic was offering Novavax for the first time. The 100 slots available were quickly filled up. I'm here because its side effects and adverse reactions are relatively mild and infrequent. After my third dose of Moderna in particular, I didn't feel well. Novavax, like Medigen, is a subunit protein vaccine. A common reason for choosing it is its relatively mild side effects. Clinical data has found its protective power is as high as 90%. Taiwan received its first shipment of the vaccine containing 504,000 doses on June 30th. Their rollout began this week. I actually waited for Novavax for a long time. As I have heart problems, I chose the subunit protein vaccine, which will have less of an effect on me. Before, some people might have been worried about the side effects of the available vaccines, and they didn't get even a first dose. Today, I've been seeing them come in, and I think that's great. In addition to the rollout of the Novavax vaccine, there are plans to vaccinate children aged five and under. On Friday, National Taiwan University Hospital held a press conference to recommend guidelines for child vaccination. As for the use of Pfizer on children aged five and under, they found that two doses didn't prompt a strong immune response, so they later changed their strategy to give them three shots. Currently, their emergency use authorization permit for Pfizer recommends three doses for young children. Three doses can be 80% effective at preventing infection. Doctors urge parents to get their young children vaccinated. Even with the epidemic waning, raising the vaccination rate is key to Taiwan's COVID defences, they say. Taste of Europe is a video series in which diplomats stationed in Taiwan cook dishes from their home countries. In a recent episode, representatives from the Slovak Economic and Cultural Office show viewers two traditional potato recipes. Hello everyone, my name is Michaela and I work at the Slovak Economic and Culture Office as the Deputy Representative. Deputy Representative Mihaela Sulakova and Cultural Officer Marek Sulak of the Slovak Economic and Cultural Office introduced the ingredients needed to make brinzo holoski, also known as potato dumplings with sheep cheese and bacon, and strapavski, also known as potato dumplings with sauerkraut and bacon. The ingredients including potatoes, flour, salt, smoked or regular bacon, and brinza or other soft cheese like feta, goat or cottage, sauerkraut and cream. It's actually a very easy process. Anyone can make this at home. It's more enjoyed in the Slovak salash. So right now the first main thing is to peel the potatoes. The first step in making brinzo of halaski is to peel the potato. We're going to grate them. After that, grate the potato, then add some flour to create a dough. Sulakova says that the brinzo of halaski is very easy to make and best enjoyed after a long day of exercise. This food is very comforting and filling. So uh, people 
usually have it after some exercise or like hiking or skiing like in winter. Maybe we will put a little bit of boiling water to the feta cheese. Then mix the goat cheese and cook the bacon. Then put feta cheese into the water to boil. Mix the dumplings together with the cheese and add the bacon on top of the dumplings. Then the dish is ready to be served. Moving on to the strapatsky, add sauerkraut into the dough. We will put strapatsky. We will put for one portion around maybe 150 200 grams of sauerkraut. So this this is 400 grams. So I'm going to add half, half of, it. of it. But I love sauerkraut a lot, so there is never too much sauerkraut in any dish. And now we're gonna cook the dumplings. Then it's time to cook the dumplings, add some dumplings to the sauerkraut and mix them together. So here is the, uh, the gnocchi or the dumplings uh, together with the cheese mixed and bacon and actually uh, a little bit of uh, a green garnish uh, on top so it looks nicer and this is the, the strapachki. So both of the dishes are ready to be served and eaten. A new episode of Taste of Europe is released every Friday. In the episodes, representatives from 15 EU member states teach viewers how to make authentic European dishes from their home countries.